Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Uh, good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. I get the privilege of introducing our speaker uh, tonight. And uh, before I did that, I just wanted to share a couple of things, just kind of the heart, a reminder of the heart behind this. Um, we have these encounter nights on the third Sunday evening of every month. And the reason that it was originally created was to create a space for um, people of Washington, but, uh, but beyond Washington Church, to come and experience God in a way that doesn't happen on Sunday mornings traditionally and to learn about the the Holy Spirit um, and to bring people voices in to talk about their experience and to share their stories and their testimonies of their journey with walking with the Spirit of God and and what that looks like and and then to begin to see the similarities in our own lives and make those connect those dots and hopefully be encouraged Um, so that's why we're here um, and even just worshiping and, and Bridget does, always does such a fabulous job. Um, so grateful to have her. And, um, but to, to be in that space where you can just sit before the Lord for an extended period of time with, with a community of people is such a gift. Um, and I find myself in the, on even Sunday morning, this morning, thinking like, no, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. This is so good. Let's keep going. But not everybody's at that place, and I, and I recognize that. Um, and so this, this is a space where we can just sit before the Lord for an extended period of time, and that's a good thing. <clears throat> Tonight I get to introduce uh, Rebecca to us, and uh, I had the privilege of meeting Rebecca through a group of, of pastors and leaders that gather in the city, um, that come together and, and uh, want to, are of like-mindedness and want to just see the kingdom advanced and um, and then got to further connect with her uh, through the Transformation Sarah. Transformation. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Transformation Center, of which Sarah Williams um, uh, oversees and invites people in. And, and if you've ever had an experience there, you know how powerful it is. And if, if you... Um, it's a place to to find healing and, and wholeness, um, and Sarah would love to talk to you about it if, if you're interested in, in learning more about it, but Rebecca's part of that team, and and there are, are certain people that you will run across in life, um, at least for me, that, um, you know, I run into a lot of people that, that are following Jesus and doing the best they can, and, and but a lot of times, um, their relationship with Jesus is an add-on to everything else. It's not the main thing. Um, and every once in a while you run into people where it's the main thing and you just see it and how they carry themselves and how they operate and how they think and, and how they live their lives and the sacrifices they choose to make. Um, and Rebecca is one of those people. And as I've met her and got to know her, um, just seeing the presence of God in her and her passion for the Lord and even at such a, a young age. Um, and we've had several times we've sat down and had conversations together and she was sharing with me recently, oh my gosh, now not recent, but three or four months ago, just about what the Lord's been teaching her. And I thought, wow, what a gift to have come through what she's come through and, and um, the grief that she's dealt with in her life. And, and I thought, wow, how powerful that is. Um, a walking testimony of God's faithfulness and healing power is what she is. 
Um, and so, would you join me in welcoming Rebecca to come and share with us tonight? I love Holy Spirit so much. Um, he never ceases to blow me away. Um, and even in preparing to speak with you tonight, um, coming here, it wasn't even really something that I was expecting to encounter uh, during this time before I spoke, but yet again, I stand here um, just amazed at how amazing he is. He put a message on my heart to share with you all. Um, he started speaking it to me maybe about a month and a half ago. And that message has already been confirmed through the way Pastor Jimmy set up the chairs today, through the worship that Bridget prepared, um, through just what he was doing in this space in the time before. And he is just amazing. He's already ministering to our hearts, mine included, about what's on his heart tonight. And that's something that only he can do. He is so much bigger than what I have to offer him. He's so much bigger than what Pastor Jimmy has to offer him. He's so much bigger than what Bridget has to offer him. But he takes, when we give ourselves to him, he takes what we offer him and makes it something beautiful and amazing that none of us could do by ourselves. And I am just, again, standing here in awe of who he is and how good he is to us. He is so, so good to us. Um, Pastor Jimmy mentioned when we originally got together, I shared with him a little bit of my story and just what was on my heart at that time and it was really big on my heart because it was a cool anniversary that had just passed when I spoke with him and that's what I thought I was going to be sharing with you tonight. Um, that's not what Holy Spirit put on my heart but I do feel prompted just to very briefly share that with you um, because it is a testimony to God's faithfulness and his goodness. Um, there are some sad parts to my story, um, but I don't want you to feel sad when I share them with you. I want you to recognize that God is good far above any sad parts of my story. Um, when I was seven years old, I lost my dad to kidney cancer. Um, we were really close, as close as a seven-year-old and her dad could be. Um, and in growing up even, I've learned that way he was and the way he lived life and who God created me to be, I'm absolutely sure of it, that we would be best friends. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to getting to spend eternity in heaven with him. Um, and even though that was sad, I knew, um, looking back, you know, in, in my seven-year-old brain, I couldn't really comprehend that, but I knew that God was with me and he was close and I clung to that. Um, I, I, that's not to say that I didn't struggle. I struggled with grief and, you know, the, the things that he wasn't there for in my life. Um, but I, I clung to God through that. Um, when I was 25, I very suddenly lost my mom. 
and um, you know we we were pretty close um, personality wise not quite as close as I probably would have been with my dad um, she was just very different but it was beautiful and I've really learned to honor that and respect that in years since then um, but it really in that season opened up a new wave of grief that just compounded upon the grief that I was carrying um, about a year and three months ago um, it was Mother's Day, and Mother's Day was typically a hard day for me, um, but I really felt God saying, like, go be with your community. Um, I was sitting in a prayer meeting, and the Lord started speaking to my heart, and um, I would tell you that he miraculously delivered me from grief that day. Yes, amen. Amen. Um, it, it is a miracle. It is something that I didn't know how to get rid of or how to deal with. Um, he met me and did the work. And if you are under the weight of grief or heaviness, I am here to tell you that is not something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. Um, we talk about grief a lot of times like it's something that I'll never be free from. It's something that I'm just going to have to learn how to do life with for the rest of my life and yes while I still miss my dad I still miss my mom I have been set free and delivered from grief and if you are carrying that I'm here to tell you that that is not your portion in life only God can bring healing to that and he wants to and he will um For quite a long time, I have felt strongly that we were created to first and foremost live in relationship with God, and that everything that he has for us, um, everything that he calls us to, everything that he asks us to do, every ministry opportunity that he sets in front of us is to come out of the place of deep intimate relationship with him. I've had this, as I've engaged with that, just the, the hunger and the desire for that grows more and more in me. And for a while it was like, I knew it was inside of me, but what does, what does the word say about that? And he's been so faithful to show me in his word um, that that is true. He created us to live in relationship with him. Um, we sang about first love. That was just perfect um, for what he wants to talk about tonight. Um, you're still my first love. You're the only one. He is pulling us and drawing us back to that place. And that that's the source and that's the core of what everything he created us for, everything that he is desiring of us, everything that he wants for us, our identity and our destiny. That's the source and that's the core. That's, that's the primary, the first thing that has to be in place. Otherwise, we won't know his heart and we're, we're off and we're not sourced by what he intended us to be sourced by. He is always, God has always existed as a trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always existed in that community. And when he created us, 
He created us for relationship with him and for relationship with one another. Um, when he created us, we were his very good creation. You know, he said all his creation was good. And he got to us, he said it's very good. We're the, we're the, the prize creation that he created. And he created us to care for and steward and tend to his creation. But that was always in the context of relationship with him. Genesis says that he walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. They regularly were together. They got to connect with him and connect with his heart as they learned about his creation, as they stewarded and took care of his creation. He created them to be dependent on him. He talked about two specific trees in the garden, the tree of life, which they could eat freely from, and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which he told them not to eat. God knew good and evil. He had an awareness of good and evil. That he set them in the garden, told them not to eat of that tree, gave them the free will to make that decision because he wanted that place of relationship with them. He wanted them to choose him. When they were deceived by the serpent, when they chose to listen to a voice other than God's voice, that relationship got skewed. Their perception of God got skewed. He asked them to be dependent on him, to trust him, to trust that wherever he directed them, whatever he led them to was good. That he, to trust that he was faithful. And when they entertained the deception of the serpent, that perspective got skewed. So that when they disobeyed and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it actually cursed their perception of God, cursed their relationship from their perspective, brought the curse of sin upon them. Yes, they knew good from evil. The serpent was kind of right in one way. He said, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. And in a way they were, but they weren't created to be like God in that way. They were created to be dependent on him. And so when they ate of that, skewed the relationship. Yeah, they knew good from evil, but they were no longer trusting and dependent on God the way that he intended it to be. Though they brought this curse of sin on themselves, God shows great compassion and mercy on them. He could have just wiped them out and started over. But he so desired relationship with them 
that he met them in their shame. All of a sudden, now they know good from evil. They're aware that they're naked and they're ashamed of it. He meets them where they are, provides clothing for them. And even though they brought the curse of sin on themselves, he pursues them because he wants to restore relationship, right relationship with his very good creation. Before the foundations of the world were created, his heart was to bring redemption and restoration to our relationship with God. And he made provision for that. Ultimately, in the work of Jesus on the cross, but we can see all throughout scripture where he is continuing to provide for the restoration of our relationship to him. I remember the first time that I, I'll say heard the voice of God or recognize that I heard the voice of God. Um, it was actually more so a feeling it wasn't anything spectacular. I was in the church that I grew up in, um, but it wasn't even a service or we weren't doing worship, we weren't in prayer. It was probably some sort of time of transition. Um, and I just remember sitting there and all of a sudden this feeling came over me and it was an invitation to pursue my own relationship with God. I grew up in a home with parents who loved God, and I'm so thankful for the legacy that they created for me. I grew up in a church that loved God, that was pouring into every generation, that wanted to see everyone grow up and walk in the destiny that God placed on their lives. Somehow in that, my perception for the first 14 years of my life was if I do the right things, if I read my Bible like I'm supposed to, if I pray every day, if I keep going to church, then I'm good. And that's what living a Christian life is all about. And I remember this clear as day in that moment, just this feeling, and I knew it was God. I knew he was speaking to me, this feeling are you going to pursue me for yourself? Are you going to search out my heart for yourself? Are you going to seek me? And in that moment, I felt like he was extending the invitation of what I was created for to me. As a 14-year-old, I probably didn't have that frame of reference for that, but looking back on it now, I know that's what he was doing. Before that, you know, I in my young teen years, I um, got pulled on in different directions. I don't think I ever got completely pulled away, but you know, I entertained different thoughts of spirituality. But from that moment on, I knew that pursuit of relationship with God was what I was created for. And while I have had hard moments, while I have had dry seasons in my life since then, I have not once turned away from that because 
that invitation spoke to my spirit. That's who I was created to be. And there's no going back from that. Um, if you want to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus. We're going to be in a couple different places in the Word today. Um, just want to talk about, look at Scripture to see where God is wooing us into relationship and kind of interweave that into how I've experienced him. So the first place I want to look at um, is Exodus 3 and 4. So Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And God's heart was to bring them out of that place to bring them out of slavery, out of oppression, out of a place where their mindset was altered away from his heart for them. He wanted to bring them out and establish them as his people. And so Moses comes on the scene, and we're probably mostly pretty familiar with his story. So this is after... Um, he has a rough encounter in Egypt, um, accidentally, or probably not accidentally, he kills a man, runs away, and God meets him in the wilderness in his season of turmoil to say, Moses, this is my heart for my people, and I want you to partner with me. I want to partner with you. I want you to be the one who carries in Exodus 3 and 4, God reveals himself to Moses, calls him through the burning bush, which is a miracle and wild and definitely got Moses' attention because <laughs> there's a bush that's burning. It's not being consumed. What in the world is up with that? Show, showing him, God showing him, the way I work is very different from the life that you've lived, from the place that you come from. It's very different. Um, he has this encounter with Moses, reveals his heart to him. I want my people out of Egypt. I want to set them free. I want you to go to Pharaoh. The whole time, God continues to tell Moses, I am with you. I want you to speak. I want you to release my heart for my people. I am with you. He's not giving him the instructions here and sending him to go do it by himself. He's saying, I'm revealing myself to you. This is my heart. Go. I'm going with you. And we know Moses fights him, but I'm not qualified. I don't speak well. God keeps saying, Moses, you're the one I want to do this with. I am with you. But still doesn't quite get it. Fine. I'll send Aaron with you too. <laughs> even in our place of questioning and insecurity, even when we can't respond to him the way that he wants us to. I'm not saying that's a good thing, 
but he is so patient with us and so loving to us and so good to us and so desires to carry out his plan that he will bring provision yet another way but he will accomplish his purposes as he proved through that so we know that moses goes back to egypt he confronts pharaoh um we know all about the plagues if you don't know you can read that in exodus (laughs) (laughs) and finally pharaoh for a moment says okay fine they can go take them so they go they leave we know that pharaoh hardens his heart again and decides that he wants him back. I mean, can you imagine losing thousands, millions of workers from this system that you've set up and all of a sudden they're just gone? Like, that's a big transition. And while Pharaoh was definitely evil and slavery was definitely not good, I can understand why he had a change of mind, (laughs) right? (laughs) So they go, And I want to read this to you. This is Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. This is the beginning of a season where God is establishing the Israelites as the people and the children of God in this way that they would represent his heart, that they would be aligned with his heart. Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. I'm going to skip down a little bit here. Uh, verse 21 and the lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people god was with them he was leading them He was inviting them into a place to not be dependent on the 400 years that they were in Egypt and the things that they learned and the mindsets that they grabbed onto during that time. Not depend on their logic and their understanding and their reason, but to come back to a place that they were created for, where they were dependent on him. To not go the close way because he knew that it wouldn't be good for them to follow him. He led them to the Red Sea where he did another miracle and parted the sea for them to go through and deliver them from the Egyptians who were coming after them. It was all a part of his heart to show them that the way you've been living is not the way that I designed you to live. The place you just came out of is not what I had planned for you. I want to show you that I am your God. I am your provision. You can depend on me. I want you to depend on me. 
He led them in a miraculous way with this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire. When the pillar moved, they moved. When it rested, they rested. Sometimes in their season in the wilderness, that was for a short time. Sometimes they stayed in a place for a long time. But he invited them into a place of dependence on him and his leading. Um, As I was studying this season of their life somewhat recently, God told me that when he brought the Israelites into the wilderness, it was a sanctifying season for them. He wanted to get rid of Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of their minds, out of their hearts, the way that they had lived 400 years. America wasn't even a nation 400 years ago. That's how long they were in Egypt. That's how long they were in this this mindset, generations for generations. And God wanted to cleanse them of that in the wilderness, showing them who he was, showing them that I can provide for you in ways that don't make sense to your mind changing their mind, transforming the way that they think, the way that they live, and aligning their hearts with his. He provides manna for them, just from the sky, what you can eat. It was miraculous. No matter how much they collected, if they collected more than enough for a day, it went bad except for when they collected it before the Sabbath, because then it would last long enough. Like, that's all God, right? doesn't make any sense at all to the logical mind, but it makes perfect sense aligned with God's heart. They complain about manna, and so he meets them where they are. He's not happy with them, but he meets them where they are, gives them quail, lots and lots of quail. He provides water for them from a rock. Have you ever gotten water from a rock? <laughs> like, it's just, you know, it's, it's wild, but so cool because it just defies all logic and reason. And he's not limited to our logic and reason. He's so far outside of all of that. Um, The rock thing is so interesting because Moses actually partners with God for this. Well, God invites him to partner with him twice in this way. The first time he strikes the rock with the staff that God gave him. The second time God tells him, speak to the rock. What does Moses do? Same thing he did the first time. He strikes the rock. And while God still provides, that loses Moses the opportunity to go into the promised land. He wasn't responding to God the way that God wanted him to. He didn't represent God's heart the way that God wanted him to represent his heart. He trusted more in what worked the last time than he did in what God was asking him to do this time. He took a situation and made a structure, a system out of it that he put before the instruction that God gave him the second time. 
and didn't trust God completely with what he said. And while God was still gracious to provide through it, it cost him the opportunity to go into the promised land. So the Israelites weren't meant to be in the wilderness for 40 years. God brought them to the promised land much earlier than that. Told them to send in a representative from each tribe. Remember that they had just come through a season where he was with them every day and every night. His presence never left them. He provided for them, provided for their every need. And he has told them, this is the land that I have for you. Okay. These 12 go in. They come back with their report. Two of them are confident that they can take this land. Ten of them are afraid or don't think they can do it. They're big there. We can't overcome them. They just came through this season with God where he was their provision, where he was faithful to his word, and yet they're put off by the circumstances that they see in the promised land. And because of that, an entire generation had to die in the wilderness before they could go into the promised land. There was never a question in God's mind whether they could do it. He was going to do it for them. This is what he had for them, but they didn't respond to the way that he wanted them to. They didn't respond to him and trust in his faithfulness, trust in his provision, trust in his plans and his purposes for them. And because of that, a whole generation had to die off. The whole generation that was in Egypt had to die off before that Egyptian mindset was cleansed from his people and they could go into the land that he had for them. As I learned about the season of the wilderness, God was speaking a lot of those things to me. I want to strip you away of worldly mindsets. I want to strip you away of being limited by your logic limited by your reasoning. I believed in miracles. I had seen miracles before that, but there was a whole mindset change and a whole heart change that happened. To not only depend on him, but to desire him and the working, his working in my life. He taught me I am not a victim to my circumstances. I am not a victim to the way of the world. You guys, we are not victims to the pandemic. We are not victims to inflation. We are not victims to the political atmosphere in our nation and in our world. The enemy will use those things to bring fear and to try to pull us away from our God-given destiny. But God is mightier than all of those things. 
I know that walking through those things is difficult and it, it's, it's, there's a tension. There's a weird tension that we as the people of God live in because we're living in the world that is being affected by those things and is a victim to those things. But our God is mightier than all of those things. And he asks that our hearts depend on him and trust in him. The Israelites were not victims to their circumstances. He provided food for them when there was no food to be found. He provided water for them when there was no water to be found. He let them defeat nations who had armies that were massively larger. The story of Gideon. He weaned the army down to 300. That doesn't make any sense to, to, the lo to logic, to reason. But it was his heart. They were not victims to their circumstances and their situations. He's calling us higher. He's calling us to be dependent on him and trust in him and his goodness and his faithfulness. In the midst of the world that we live in, we are not of this world. We're here. Jesus prayed in John 17, God, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. He has every provision for us to be in this world, but not affected by it, not victims to it, overcomers who trust in him and depend on him so that we reflect his heart to the world that needs to see him, to the world that is victims currently to our circumstances, but who he desires to bring out. Just like he desired to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, he desires to bring them out of that. And as we partner with his heart, we get to partner with him to bring them out, just like Moses did. I've seen him do miracles since that season. And as I shared when I first got up here, it just amazes me every time. I expect that he will do miracles. I expect that he will provide for the places that he calls me to go. At the Transformation Center, we expect that he will do miracles to provide for the vision that he has given us. I expect that when I sit in a session with somebody that I'm ministering to, that God is gonna meet them right where they need, that he is gonna release healing and freedom and breakthrough right where they need. And it is miraculous every time, and it amazes me. He is so good and so faithful and so amazing. And he wants us to partner with him. He wants to cleanse us of the worldly mindsets and partner with him in that way. Fast forward a couple thousand years. There's so much in the scripture that speaks of God's heart for relationship with us. If we talked about it all, we'd probably be here for a thousand years. Just kidding. Maybe a couple years. Um, Jesus showed us what God's heart was for us as his created humans, 
his creation, his ones that he loved and wants to be in relationship with. He walked in relationship with the Father. His miracles were not systematic at all. We can see this in the way he heals people. He heals people so many different ways. One, one time he spits in the ground, makes mud, puts it on a guy's eyes and heals them. One time he tells the centurion, go, your son's healed. There's so many different ways that he does it. And it, I believe that he does this because, one, it aligns with God's heart. He does what the Father tells him to do. But two, it's the depth of healing. It's not just the physical issue, but he meets the person that's in front of him in a way that touches their whole being and brings a healing that goes so much deeper than the physical issue. It speaks to their heart and brings them closer into their destiny. Um, one of the places that I think represents this well is in John chapter 5. And here we have a man who has been laying beside the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, longing for his healing. He wants to be healed. And at the pool of Bethesda, if you can be the first person to get in the water, you receive your healing. But he can't get there because of what holds him back, because of his physical condition he can never be the first one into the water. Somebody always beats him in. But he lays there for 38 years, desiring that, longing for that. Jesus comes to him, shows him that the heart of God is not that he would lay by a pool for 38 years just so he can maybe be the first one into the water to receive his healing, but that God wants to heal him. And he tells him, take up your mat and walk. As simple as that, he's healed. After 38 years of expecting it to happen this way, take up your mat and walk. You see, the problem here is it's the Sabbath. And this is really problematic to the Jews. What's he doing healing on the Sabbath? Why is he telling this man to take up his mat and walk? That's legal on the Sabbath. Well, we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's not breaking God's law. He is the embodiment of God's heart. The religious leaders of that time were so far removed from God's heart, were so concerned with keeping laws that they through misinterpretation or sheer desire to seem powerful and prideful had put into place and followed so that on the outside they looked good, but they were so far removed from God's heart that they didn't even recognize it when Jesus walked in it.
in John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, Jesus is speaking to that, speaking to their disapproval of what he did. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He knew all the laws. He knew what all the prophets before him had said. He made sure that he was in alignment with the Father's heart. He showed us what it means to walk in alignment with the Father's heart. He connected with his Father. It says that he got up early in the morning before anything was happening to go pray and connect with his Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He walked in that relationship with the Father to show us what it means to do that, to reveal God's heart for us in that, to reveal God's heart for us, to walk in relationship with him. He was intentional about his connection with the Father. In this past season, God has invited, invited me into very intentional practice to make sure that I absolutely protect my time of connection with him. And I know that you've heard this probably so many times, that it's so important to have that time with God every day. Sometimes that sounds like, make sure you do your devotions every day. Sometimes that sounds like, make sure you read your Bible every day. And I will tell you that those things are important, but the heart of it is to connect with God, to have personal time where you are connecting to the heart of God. It's very easy to be religious about that, to think, I have to read my Bible every day because that's what I'm supposed to do. I have to connect with God every day. I have to pray every day because that's what I'm supposed to do. I have to worship every day because that's what I'm supposed to do. But the heart of it is to have deep relationship with God. When I have that time with him, it doesn't always look the same. It almost always includes elements of sitting in his presence, just to be with him, not because I'm asking him for anything or I'm trying to please him, but just to be with him. It almost always includes asking him to reveal himself to me through his word. It almost always includes a time of worshiping him, honoring him, adoring him. Doesn't always happen in any sort of order but it's always a time of connection with him. I don't even take my intercession into that time unless he says so. 
because I know that in order to be an intercessor and intercede the way that he's called me to, I have to be connected to his heart and know him. Yes, I make time for intercession. That is important. I make time to pray, to ask him for things and ask him to talk to me about certain things and to tell me certain things. But I also protect my time of connection with him, of just being with him, of letting him reveal himself to me in whatever way that he wants to. Because that is the place where the things that he has called me to, the ministry that he's asking me to do, that's the place where all of that flows from. I have to be connected to his heart. I have to be connected to his heart to intercede. I have to be connected to his heart to minister. I have to be connected to his heart to walk in the things that he is asking me to walk in. I have to know his heart so that I am representing and reflecting his heart in everything that he calls me to. I want to encourage you that if that time feels religious to you or if it feels like a struggle to you, to ask him, God, what are you inviting me into? Practically, what does that look like for me? Make that relational. Don't make it religious. Don't just decide you're going to read your Bible because that's what you've been told to do. Ask him, God, how do you want to reveal yourself to me through your word? Where are you inviting me to connect with you in your word? Ask him what atmosphere will create a place for me to be able to sit in your presence? Is there certain music that's going to help me get in that place? Do I need to just be silent? Do I need to light a candle? All of that's okay. He knows you and he knows your heart. He knows who he created you to be and he knows what's going to create that place for you. Do I need to go to bed early so that I can get up early and spend time with you in the early morning hours before the world wakes up and is bombarding me? Do I need to stay up later so I can spend time with you because that's when I can get alone time? Do I need to go sit in my car on my lunch break because that's a place that I can get away and be with you? Don't make it religious. Ask him and respond to his invitation to you. The disciples learned the heart of God through walking in relationship with Jesus. We can see some transformation in their lives from the time that they're first called to the time that Jesus goes to the cross. It's not perfect by any means, but we can see how their hearts learned that he was walking in relationship with God and what that looked like. Their minds were changed. Their minds were transformed. But what happens when you go away? Jesus, you keep telling us that you're going away. We've learned how to walk this in the context of relationship with you. What do we do when you go away? In John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit.
There's two verses in here that I want to focus on specifically, verses 16, verse 16 and verse 26. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. In verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He tells us he's going to send us the helper. That Greek word communicates the idea of comforter, encourager, exhorter, advocate, one who bestows spiritual aid, one who consoles. And he says that that helper will teach us all things and will bring to remembrance all that Jesus said. Now he's talking to the disciples here. They had been with Jesus. So he is telling them, Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance everything that I've said. But guess what? The same Holy Spirit that came to them, that they had with them, is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of us today. And so even though we didn't physically walk with Jesus, that same Holy Spirit can bring to our minds everything that Jesus said. He is the perfect reflection. Holy Spirit is the perfect reflection of God's heart. Just like Jesus was, he is the perfect reflection of God's heart. And he is here to be our helper, to bring us comfort, consolation, to encourage us, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us. Just like the Israelites were dependent on the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, we can depend on Holy Spirit to lead and guide our every step. He is here and with us to do that. Just like God was with Moses when he sent him to Pharaoh, Holy Spirit is with us in whatever God has called us to. All gifts, all ministry comes from the place of intimate relationship with Holy Spirit. And we talk a lot about the... I'll say the supernatural gifts, you know, we talk about healing, prophecy, tongues, those sorts of things, and we know that we're dependent on Holy Spirit because we can't do those. But I want to propose to you that even places where we can do it in our natural mind, we're not supposed to. That even when we're sitting down to crunch numbers, even when we're sitting down in a meeting to come up with a vision, even when we are filing things, organizing things, that he has wisdom and knowledge and revelation, that even those things would reflect the heart of God. Everything that he calls us to is meant to be birthed from the place of relationship and guidance from Holy Spirit. How many of you have, like, a family recipe that has just been passed down from generations or that just is a staple in your family. How many of you have something like that? Okay. How many of you still have the person who came up with that with you today? Okay. So when you make that thing, you have the recipe, but the person who came up with it isn't there with you. 
Imagine if every time you went to make that recipe, the person who, who created that was there with you to help you make that thing. Do you think that it would be different than just following the recipe on the page? You would catch little nuances of their heart and their process as you recreate this recipe. You would know what their heart is in it. You would know eh, that can be a heaping tablespoon or no, that has to be exactly right. Holy Spirit is that for us in every single thing that he calls us to. So we don't just have to read it and hear, interpret it, and try to strive and do it on our own. We can read it and hear, know what his heart is, and walk in that. With him guiding us every step of the way. Everything that we are called to is meant to be in the context of relationship. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is. To love the Lord your God with everything that you have. To love your neighbor as yourself is the second one like it. On these depend all of the law and the prophets. Loving God, loving others, that sounds like relationship to me. And everything depends on that. Everything that we're called to, everything that God put in place for his people is dependent on relationship with him. The relational stuff is eternal. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says that love never ends. It tells us that prophecy, that tongues, that ministry in that way comes to an end. But love is eternal. Relationship with God is eternal. He's asking us to step in relationship with him, to invest in that. That is the eternal. That other stuff will flow from that, and it is for this time. He is calling us to do it, and he will do it through us and in us to reach his people and to minister to his people, but it comes from the place of relationship. Investing in our relationship with him is investing in the eternal. If our focus is how can I have access to the benefits of Holy Spirit without investing in relationship, we're not investing in the eternal. And I think we're not going to be as happy as we think we are when that time of transition comes from this life into eternity. But if we invest in our relationship, we're investing in the eternal with him. Even the fruit of the spirit is cultivated in that place of relationship and dependence. He does that work in us as we respond to his invitation. He's not gonna do it without our response to him. He gives us free will. He doesn't force us into anything. But as we respond to him, he cultivates and grows the fruit of the Spirit in us. And the beautiful thing is that when he does the work in us, it creates space for him to do the work through us. 
when I started ministering with the Transformation Center, God really started speaking to me about ministering in the place of relationship with him. One of our core values at the Transformation Center is that Holy Spirit gets to do what he wants to do. Because of that, we don't have a set format that sessions take. If you come in for a session, it's going to look very different from anybody else who comes in for a session because Holy Spirit gets to do what he wants to do. And I've learned so much of God's heart through that ministry. At the early stages, God told me, all I have to do, all Rebecca has to do is yield to him. I have a, um, like a cork board at home in my, the place where I pray that I write things down on and stick to so that I can remember them. And since that time, they, I, I change them out pretty frequently, but since that time, since he told me that, I've had this card on, on my board that says, all I have to do is yield to you. And that has become such a staple of my relationship with him. It doesn't matter if I feel equipped or not. It doesn't matter if I do feel equipped or if I don't feel equipped. Because he's not asking me to do it out of my own skills. He gives me talents. He gives me skills. But he asks me to offer them to him and yield to him. And so I can do what he calls me to do, whether I feel wildly disqualified or whether I feel like that's going to be the easiest thing in the world. But he asks that my heart posture is yielded to him. And when that happens, he gets to work and he gets to move and he gets to flow. I told you earlier that I'm amazed and just in awe of the work that he does every time I'm in that place of ministry. And that's because he's asked me to yield to him. When we yield to him, he gets the glory and we get to be in awe. And I don't know about you, but I love that feeling of just being amazed at what he can do. I'm so grateful that I get to partner with him and that he asks me to yield to him because it is amazing to watch him do what he wants to do. Um, we've recently come into a new season at the Transformation Center. We're expanding. Um, God is expanding the ministry that he's asked us to do and we're responding to him. And as we went into this season, I also just happened to start playing guitar. And we started having some meetings with the team that were a little bit more corporate in nature. And I didn't expect, like I was, I started this past November, okay? And we started having these meetings, I think in June, okay. Um, I wasn't expecting him to say, hey, I want you to offer that to me because I can play a few chords. I can't even like play, I really can't play anything beyond a few chords. And I even have to adjust the piece, the music that I can play to make sure it's in a key that I can play it in because I can't play all the chords, okay? <laughs> he asked me to offer that to him and to yield to him in it. 
because he wants to cultivate a place where worship is not about my talents and my abilities, but what my heart to worship him, our heart to worship him. And so he said, Rebecca, it doesn't matter that you don't have skill. You can be the most terrible guitar player in the world. I just want you to offer it to me. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are. Just offer it to me. Let me do with it what I want to do. Okay, God, I'll yield to you. I don't feel super equipped for that. I still don't feel super equipped for that. But I'm committed to responding to him when he asks me to do it. There are people who are far better equipped than I am, probably sitting in the room every time I play. But he asked me to do it. It removes the place of pride. Pride can either say, you're so great, perform. Pride can also say, you're not equipped to do that because it hurts the place of where people view me, how people see me. But when he says, offer me what you have and let me do with it, it just completely takes that place of pride away. It doesn't get to inform that place at all. And he doesn't want us to be living with pride or struggling with pride. He gets the glory when we just yield to him and give him what we have. I've also learned to yield to him in the, what I call, as you are going ministry. I drive Uber. And I love just partnering with him for the people that get in my car. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, sometimes you get some real interesting people. (laughs) Sometimes they're real open to conversation and you get to have a full-on conversation about Jesus and encourage them to read the book of John and give Jesus a try. Sometimes they don't want to talk to you at all but I get to pray for them the whole time I'm going to pick them up and the whole time they're in my car. I get to create an atmosphere where God's presence is in my car, where it's peaceful. And even if it's just so they can have a few minutes of peace in the midst of a chaotic world that wants to victimize them, I get to minister to them in that way. I always ask God, What is your heart for me to partner with you for this next person that's getting in my car? Servers, cashiers, people you come in contact with, family parties, reunions. All of these are opportunities to yield the Holy Spirit and partner with him and his heart for what he has for the people that you're going to interact with. I'm learning how to do that with him and walk with him in that way as well. Ministry doesn't always look official. We are all called to be ministers wherever we are, in our jobs, in our families, 
And that yielding to him is not just for official ministry, it is for all ministry, every situation. He's calling us to live in that place. I'm learning to yield to him in personal relationships, in friendships, in my marriage, in relationships I have with acquaintances. He knows what will minister to that person's heart, how I can serve them. He knows the plan that he has for that relationship. I can trust him to create the appropriate boundaries in those relationships. I can trust him to give me the words in a conflict or a weighty conversation. I can trust him to make that relationship what he wants it to be. I don't have to strive or worry about are the appropriate boundaries in place. I can keep him at the center of that relationship and trust him to be my protection, to be my leading, to be my guiding, so that I am in the appropriate place, that I'm ministering in partnership with him to the person that I'm in that relationship with. God is looking for pure-hearted sons and daughters to reflect his heart in a world that so desperately needs it. We get to be the reflection of his heart to the world that feels like they are a victim to their circumstances. He's looking for sons and daughters who are anchored securely in their relationship with him. We get the opportunity to partner with Holy Spirit to show them what his heart is. To be the revelation of his heart to those who don't know him or who are struggling. To do that, we have to know him. We have to be in relationship with him, have intimacy with him, and let everything we do flow from that place. I am more convinced now than ever that we were created for relationship and that everything that God has for our destiny flows from that place of intimate relationship with him. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit some questions. about our relationship with him. And even if you are walking in relationship with him, I want you to ask him because we can always, always grow. I am growing, I am learning. We are all growing and we are all learning. We can always, always go deeper. The depths of his heart know no bounds. And as we ask him these questions, 
I'm gonna encourage you to even ask him these questions from a place of relationship. For some of you, this may be easy. For some of you, this may be challenging. But engage it the best you know how. And the best you know how doesn't look like striving. It looks like surrendering to the place of relationship with him and letting him answer the question. You may hear it in your thoughts. You may hear it audibly. Let's not limit him. You may see it. You may feel it. You may just know it. There's so many different ways he can speak to you. Rest, surrender, and let him show you what the answer is. He knows you more intimately than you know yourself. He created you. He knows your destiny. Rest in the place of relationship. Holy Spirit, do I see you as a person I can have relationship with? Or do I see you as more of an impersonal force? Holy Spirit, wherever I'm at in that, what are some ways that I can cultivate my relationship with you? What are you inviting me into? going to encourage you that if you have something to write this down, write it down. If you have your phone with you, pull it out, put it in your notes in your phone. Holy Spirit, what area or areas of my life are you inviting me to yield to you?
Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.